Hello, I'm Sally Warhaft. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the lands on which this podcast was produced, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and recognise the continuing connection to land, skies and waterways. I'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands where you may be listening from. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging, and to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders who are listening. In 2017, I sat down with ANZ Chief Executive Shane Elliott for an in-depth look at his vision for the bank as it transformed to an agile way of working. He shared what he envisaged those changes would mean for the business and what they meant for people working at ANZ. It was named the ANZ Way. At the time, Shane was about a year into his term as CEO and was looking to create a clear strategic focus for the bank's future. Since then, the bank has been through many changes, including a major transformation in the way the workplace is structured, the Royal Commission into the financial services industry, and of course, the COVID-19 pandemic. I recently spoke with Shane as he prepares to share his updated vision known as the bank we're building. This concept ties together the bank's strategy, purpose, culture and values, building on the ANZ way as it looks ahead. In our wide-ranging conversation, Shane explained what he hopes the bank we're building will achieve, what he has learnt from the last five years and ANZ's plans for the future. the end of it you say you know come back follow me up oh that's true yeah. I do remember that's right yeah and well, there you, go. you know people sometimes say these things and never mean them yeah so thank you it's been really what's that great line always be authentic even if you don't mean it yeah well exactly <laughs> Shane, it's wonderful to see you and thank you for inviting me back. It's a rare thing to be invited back to a corporate um, headquarters to, to see how a change of culture has gone. And uh, I recall, of course, in 2017, you sent a, a hard copy letter to every member of your staff here introducing a change of culture, the ANZ way, and central to that letter was the purpose of ANZ to shape a world where people and communities thrive. Four and a half years on, we're sitting here, the world is not thriving right now. In fact, almost every community in it is in crisis. I want to ask you um, to start how the community of ANZ is faring. Well, so it's good to see you and it's good to sort of reflect back. It feels only like yesterday in a funny way, mm. but it has actually been four and a half um, years. Um, I think actually when we when we talk to our people and when we sort of engage with them and talked about what happened with the ANZ way and how they've embraced it, I think the thing that's been probably the most surprising and possibly I shouldn't be surprised, I'm pleased with it, is actually how much that purpose meant to people and how much it's really shaped uh, the way that people think and what they do and how they make decisions. And something like 90% of our people say that actually they consider that the purpose of the bank when they're making decisions. And so that's really heartening, actually, because it would have been easy to say it was a poster on a wall or it was a thing with you wore around your neck, but it was a nice sort of corporate speak. But it seems to have really resonated with people and therefore it has changed the shape of ANZ. I mean, it has changed the conversations we have, what we talk about, what we care about, how we go about things. And... The recent experience with COVID is a really good example. You know, you're right. Yes, communities 
all over the world are in crisis. And what happens in a crisis, particularly for somebody like a bank, where we have a role where we really can positively help through transitions and change, is that the you know by by and large our people have lent into this crisis and really tried to do the right thing by customers because you know to assist people through some of those changes that they've they've had and I don't think we've we would be able to have done that I'm sure we would have had good people but without that sense of purpose and focus and drive I don't think we would have been um, as impactful as we've been over this period. Can you tell me more about how? that message was able to seep in so deeply and how you brought those changes about? Well, we started by trying to have impact. And as you mentioned, we sent out a letter, which seems so old-fashioned, doesn't it, today? But, of course, that in and of itself had an impact. It was something that – and I think, you know, we took a decision. We didn't write want to – while we talk about the purposes, one line, the letter itself was reasonably dense, actually. It was a good letter. It yeah. started off with a great David Bowie quote right. and it ended with Shakespeare. That's true, but it was quite dense. You know, it wasn't something you could just sort of flick through. And we said, to, and I think part of that again was the culture that says, hey, we want to treat our people as adults. And we said, hey, go and find some quiet time and really absorb this properly. And we're talking to you about something serious and meaningful. You know, it's not something glib that we can stick on a poster. So I think that was important. And then we continued. It wasn't just, oh, we said a letter and then we moved on. We really have continued to have that conversation with our people about what does the purpose mean? How do you bring it to life? And, you know, in a simple way, the three main levers of that were who do we bank, how do we behave, and what do we care about most? And you'll hear that language, I think, quite a bit at the bank about well, we have to bring this to life. There's no point saying these wonderful things if you can't prove it. So it must influence who we bank. We have to bank people who will help us achieve that ambition of shaping a world where people and communities thrive. It has to influence the way we behave. How do we behave when a community or a customer um, or a colleague is in, a, in crisis or, or has an opportunity or wants to change the world? How do we behave in terms of that? And then that last piece, really importantly, about what do we care about and where does ANZ have a valid, um, reasonable voice and when should we use that voice for good or, or, or to just to raise awareness in the community about issues, whether that issue might be to do with the environment and climate change, whether it's to do with vulnerable Australians, whether it's to do with elder abuse, financial abuse, you know, et cetera. Mm. Agility was at the heart of the ANZ way, responding at pace. Um, tell me how agile ANZ is now. Well, it's more agile. It's probably still not agile enough. And that's always the great challenge of companies that are like us that are old. You know, we're 180 odd years old. So we're much more agile than we used to be, right? Um, and what I mean by that is, and if we go back to the reason why did we talk about agility, we said actually when we boiled it all down, there's all sorts of things we could do to be successful and make sure we're around for another 180 years. But we said, what it's really going to boil down to is having flexibility, reading the tea leaves, seeing what's going on in the world, and then having the culture and the processes and technology and all that other stuff that allows you to make changes at pace, to respond to something like COVID, to respond to something like climate change, to respond to new customer needs and be able to do so in real time. And so we had to sort of rethink the way we make decisions, how we organise ourselves, what tools we use to make us faster but safer at the same time. 
And so we've come a long way. The way we've organised the teams has changed quite dramatically, particularly here in the Australia Retail and Commercial Bank. The technology we uh, use today is a lot more flexible than it used to be. And, you know, we've got some really good examples during COVID that, you know, with literally in a matter of weeks, what it was it, 18 months ago, when COVID really first hit the shores of Australia, for us to be able to get all of our people working from home really seamlessly and really, really quickly. Now, I know lots of people did that, but we were able to do it at pace, safely, really with no sort of trip-ups along the way. So it's a lot more agile than it used to be. Mm. And is it, uh, when you say you'd like it to be more agile, is it that the whole bank has had this agile um, shift or that parts of it are really agile and others are where they were? Yeah, it's more the latter. And it's not that others are where they were. We've all People have all moved at slightly different paces given their history, their role, um, and how they how they add value to an organisation. So, you know, at its heart, a, a bank is in the business of risk management. And so, understandably, we have a lot of very prudent, cautious, conservative people who worry and say, oh, we shouldn't go, you know. So it might be a little bit more difficult for some to sort of embrace pace. Um, but so they're, they're evolving at different stages. Um, but, yes, we're not all where we need to be. Now, and then what you end up is you end up with some who are racing ahead, very agile, willing to make decisions, good teams, good processes. And of course they, and maybe it's not the right word, but sort of clash at times with the greater superstructure. The pandemic's been full of that. I mean, I, I wondered how much you might have learned from customers, small businesses, even government uh, has proved itself uh, much more agile than a lot of people would have expected. But at the same time, COVID has had so much red tape attached to it as well. So it's sort of that, a, a bigger version in a way of those those. Absolutely. Clashes. I mean, I, you know, obviously we have to focus on the very sort of devastating impacts that COVID has had on people's lives, obviously, and health and, the, and, and just the security of people and worrying about the future. Having said that, What's remarkable, and we should really, I think, be thoughtful about how amazing and resilient have people and businesses been? Seriously, I mean, we sit here and think, wow, you know, little businesses, big businesses, being able to pivot on a dime, being able to shift your entire business online to delivery away from, you know, um, you know, coffee shops and restaurants or, or retailing. Um, seeing the changes we've seen, you know, ANZ's the most sort of global of the Australian banks, you know, we've got a big business in Asia facilitating trade. We have seen, not just because of COVID, but for all sorts of reasons, this massive shift in trade flow away from this intense focus only on China, which is still really, really important. And suddenly all these companies have pivoted and are now exporting into the United States and into Thailand and Japan and the Europe and the UK because the world changed and they were able to change really, really fast. So I think there's lots of real positives. And I think I know talking to customers, they say the same things we do. We kind of surprised ourselves. If we'd have sat around and said, how uh, flexible do we think we are or how agile, we probably would have underestimated our own abilities. Mm -hmm. As well as, I mean, all the staff in the businesses and the, the agility they're showing so often in family settings or in home settings with schooling and everything else. It's, it's, yeah, it, the sad thing is it comes at a cost, right? And, yeah. and so people have been remarkably resilient. But, of course, I think initially what we saw through COVID and particularly for our people but also businesses, a lot of it was sort of done on adrenaline. It was, yes. well, I didn't have a choice, so I just had to do it. 
I worked longer hours, et cetera. Now, you know, we've clearly, many have hit a bit of a wall and had to, you know, just working harder hasn't been the right way through it. And what we're seeing now is this is an extended crisis, and I mean, it's going on almost for two years. Um, many have had to sort of take time out and rethink and say, I can't continue like this. I have to rethink how I prioritise, how I handle, you know, homeschooling and work and all the other things that, that go on. And, you know, and I think it's important that employers like us, as part of our purpose, actually lean in and make sure we give the right sort of tools and support for people to um, address those challenges. With all the changes that you've made, who would you say has benefited the most? That's a really good question. So it, I, I, I'd hope to say it's our customers. I mean, you know, and I say I hope because I can't prove it. Um, I think there is some evidence that that's the case and we can see it in some of the scores we get and some of the feedback and uh, things from our customers. But that's what it was designed for. At the end of the day, that's why we're doing it, um, so that we're more responsive, that we can actually be there when customers uh, need us and have the right um, services for them. So I think they have been the most beneficial or most have been the greatest benefit. But I think actually also our people. I think our people have responded really positively. I mean, we look at our engagement scores and, you know, everybody measures those things. And we know that, you know, we, we you know, without showing off, we have the highest in the industry and we've been able to, and everybody got a COVID bounce in those scores, but we've actually been able to maintain ours at really high levels. And I think it's because we trusted our people, we've delegated authority to them, we've given them the freedom to make decisions and get on and do the right thing. So I think our people have benefited, but ultimately it was really for, for our customers. Banks seem to have come off fairly well reputationally with the COVID crisis, particularly coming out of the Royal Commission findings. And um, clearly, you know, there was a very quick pivot to looking after customers with mortgages, with small businesses and, and making sure that they weren't put into a, a total state of crisis, um, the banks appeared, in ANZ appeared to do that very, very well. Um, and there's a, a loyalty that will come with that. There's, you're going to yep. have customers now that you will have for life. Yep. An important part of a bank's job, I'm sure, is, is that kind of loyalty. Uh, but it occurs to me that that's not a really difficult thing to do. It's, it's something that needs to be done. What are the harder decisions that that, that um, create that sense of security with customers, with workers, uh, with shareholders at a time like this? So I don't know that we should give ourselves too much credit for that as an industry, to be perfectly honest. And um, so if I'm being sort of detached from it, and obviously we, you know, we like it when people say we've done the right thing and and, and, and I think the industry has. But if I sort of stand back a little bit and think it, think it through, um, uh, we've done the right thing because we've had the capacity to do the right thing, right? And so it's much easier when you have the capacity, when you have the balance sheet strength and all those other bits and pieces. You know, what? I, you know, I, I remember I was chatting to um, Alan Joyce and Alan made this comment that, um, you know, when he first joined the airline industry, he was told, hey, Alan, you have to understand that airlines are in a perpetual state of crisis, yeah? And I said, Alan, you know, that's like banks, actually. <laughs> We're all, there's always a crisis. And yes. I've been in banking for 30-odd years and we've been through all of them, you know, Asia financial crisis, global financial crisis, you know, tech wrecks. We've had Latin American debt crisis, Russian debt crisis. We've had all sorts of things. So there's always something going on, right? The difference with this crisis 
is that actually banks aren't at the heart of it. And all those other things that I talked about, actually, our number one priority is survival as a bank. Like, what are we going to do about ourselves? So we come to work in the morning in the GFC worried about us, you know, do we have enough deposits in the bank to fund for tomorrow? You know, what happens if our customers um, fail? You know, do we have enough capital? Do we have all those sorts of things? So it's very internally focused and a bit selfish. This time, through all sorts of reasons, partly because of the financial services inquiry we had, which seems like a long time ago when we had this idea of unquestionably strong and the banks had to raise more and more capital to meet that requirement, partly because of that, and partly because of the Royal Commission, which basically said we need to change our culture so we not only had balance sheet strengths, we needed to have a cultural uh, strength. When this came along, actually, we weren't talking about ourselves. We were able to actually say, hey, we've got the strength here to lean in and actually help customers and do the right thing. So that's a great position to be in, but I don't know that we should take too much credit for it. I think it's, it's, a, you know, it's, it's a credit to the system that created the stability for us to be able to do it. Um, the real test is not yet at the beginning. We're, we're right at the beginning of this whole uh, um, sort of crisis and the impacts of it are going to be felt not just in the next two, three, four, it'll be five and 10 years beyond that we'll really know what happens. You know, what happens to um, our children as they're thinking about, as they're graduating and thinking about starting small businesses? Are they more fearful? Are they more risk averse? You know, how do, how do businesses operate in a future when they're always going to have covid in their mind, I don't want that to happen to me again. You know, so there's going to be all sorts of changes, and it'll be really interesting to see what the long-term impacts of it will be. I imagine there'll be all sorts of PhDs and Harvard Business Reviews papers written on it at some point, and it'll be how banks behave through that cycle. I think is the real test, not necessarily in the immediacy of today. And how opportunities, I suppose, are spotted and and dealt with. I mean, it, it it's hard to talk about opportunities. In a crisis, nobody really wants to point out that there are many there. Um, how do you how do you navigate that? Yeah, it's, it does. It can feel a bit uncomfortable, particularly when we're talking about something that's such a devastating crisis in a health sense, not just a financial one. In this case, so it does feel a bit uncomfortable talking about opportunity. But you know, what is a crisis? A crisis is a, essentially an extreme period of change. That's all it is, right? And, you know, because people say change is constant. Well, that's not quite true. The rate of change isn't constant. And so a crisis is extreme change. And what we know from history is that great organisations and companies really are made in times of crises. In fact, what's fascinating is how many great companies today were founded or really uh, took off at a time of crisis. Companies like Microsoft, for example, or Amazon, or a lot of tech firms, but also some of the great industrial companies. And you go, why? Well, it's because suddenly in a crisis, consumers have all these new needs they didn't have before. I need to be able to work from home. I need to be able to shop from home. I need to be able to school, you know, educate my kids from home. I need to do all these things I didn't need before. And all these new needs are unmet and great organizations figure out how to meet those needs. And so that's why there is opportunity in a time of crisis. And the companies that understand the world's changed forever, right? And there's going to be these new ways of doing things. And the people who get in front of that and say, hey, I've got the right services to make those things easier for you, to get those things done, those companies will win. And it goes back to where we started, which is in order to be able to do that, you need to have this agility and pace 
um, to be able to really get in there. And look, just look at our life today, how our lives have changed in two years, the way we go about things, you know, in terms of all the online experiences that we have to have. And while some of it will revert, much of it will stay with us for, for a long period. Uh, you're choosing this time to bring in an, another um, big, big uh, set of changes, big ideas, uh, the bank we're building. Can you talk about, uh, first of all, the timing of that, whether, I mean, I assume it's very deliberate that you're bringing it in uh, right now, but also what it is, what it means for the bank. Yeah, it's deliberate not so much because of the current crisis, but just certain terms of our own evolution. You know, I've been CEO for five years. I think it's fair to say that a lot of that five years was spent, you know, getting ready, cleaning up, simplifying, strengthening, culture, all of the things that we've talked about. But all of those things were in order to achieve something, in order to be uh, more uh, contemporary and, and more successful with customers in the long term. And now we feel like while we've still got work to do on that, we're now shifting much more into being on the front foot and saying, hey, now that we've built that better culture, now that we're building a stronger, more simpler bank, it's now time to use that in a more sort of assertive way with our customers. So it's now, it's a step forward, if you will. So that's why we feel we've sort of crossed that Rubicon, if you will. And so the bank we're building, that came out of a conversation we were just talking about, a group of us, you know, and reflecting on the fact that we are, you know, not quite, but almost 200 years old. And all of our predecessors have, you know, continued to build and, and we're the beneficiaries of a lot of the work in the past. And it's sort of a recognition that the bank will never, will, it'll never be finished, right? <laughs> uh, it'll always be a work in progress. And so we need to just acknowledge that, that we are continually building and adding and knocking things down and streamlining other things and adding new things. And um, that's exciting. And we think that's a way of sort of bringing our people along and understanding that, you know, we don't want people who just want to work here. We want people who want to help build a better bank that's going to be more appropriate for the for the future challenges. So it's just time given the achievements we've we've made over the last five years. It's also the noun you're using instead of the verb. Uh, so much banking, 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 but you're also, in, you know, you're taking it back to the bank. It doesn't matter whether you've got 50,000 employees in 33 different countries. Um, they still all work for the bank and there are, are still uh, places that that is situated. I, I thought that was interesting that you... Yeah, you I mean, it's a, we, 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 yes, I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but it's a good, it's a good observation. I mean, at some point you have to ask why, why you know, What's the point of an organisation? Why do we have 50,000 people? You know, what, you know, and obviously we have our purpose. And the point of it is to say, when it's working well, we're achieving something that no individual or no other group could achieve on their own. And when you, when you, when you sort of stand back and forget AMZ, you just think about any organisation, whether it's a company or whatever it might be, it's quite a remarkable thing when you think about it, isn't it? To say, how do you know, the idea that you can have, you know, okay, 50,000 people across all these markets in some way coordinated and achieving a combined outcome that matters, that makes a difference. It's quite a remarkable innovation and piece of technology, if you will, to do it. And of course, that's why culture is so important in doing it because that's ultimately the sort of binding DNA um, of all of that. And it goes back again, because a lot of the conversation we're having here is circular, it sort of goes back to this, 
So why do people want to join and be part of that? Because it's about the culture of a place and it's also about that sense of purpose that, you know, I might be one of 50,000, but what we're doing collectively makes a difference and there's value in that. And I, and I feel valued in my contribution to it as, a, as, a, as an individual, but I also feel that what we're doing is making a difference and not just in terms of, you know, earnings per share or ROE, but actually shaping a world where people and communities thrive. And I think being able to connect the dots there is truly really where we're sort of unlocking uh, value for our people. The changes that you're bringing in are uh, a way of linking the purpose with, a, I suppose, a new strategy, and it's guided by um, these four Ps as yep. they're outlined, which is going to be trouble for you if you do lots of interviews with popping Ps. But yes. anyway, there's tricks to that. Uh, propositions, platforms, partnerships and people. Um, what makes this strategy new? What What's different? So, yeah, it's a good question. So, you know, to some extent um, banking is very simple. You know, what we do is not, it's not rocket science really. And um, it's quite a sort of commoditized business, right? You know, we, we take money from some people as a deposit and we lend it to others and we, make, and we move it around and, and pay bills for people. So it's not, it's not terribly complicated, in, 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 certainly in theory, in practice it can be. Um, and so the real question is, well, if, if that's your, the line of business you're in, how do you win? How do, how, why do customers choose you? And you go, well, they choose us because, um, because we, we solve their core uh, problems as, as consumers or homeowners or business uh, uh, people. Um, and so how would you go about making sure that you solve those problems? And we said, well, you know, again, it goes with, well, we've got to have the right proposition. We've got to have the right solutions. Just a fancy word for a solution. We've got to have the right solutions for people, yeah, um, that are appropriate for them whether I'm saving for a home or I'm running a small business or I'm a you know big a major export or something. So do I have the, the, the right propositions there? Do I have what we've really learning at ANZ is that in solving those problems, as we sort of joke here, nobody wants a home loan. No, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I really can't wait to get a lot of debt. That's really exciting for me. What they want is a home or what they want to do is run their business. And when you think about actually helping people save for and buy and own a home, there's a lot more to it than just the money piece. And so it's really to say, how can we work with partners to actually create what people want, which is a home experience, actually getting into a home. And so, you know, there's all sorts of other partners that provide some of the services that go into that. I'm just using that as an example. So that's where the sort of the partner. So it's this realisation, hey, we can't do everything on our own. And if we're really going to solve what customers want, we need to be open to be able to partner with others in the in, in solving some of those problems and, you know, not just necessarily in a technology-driven way but really just as a culture that says, hey, we're here to really help in the broader sense. So I won't go through all the Ps, but it's really to say there's a, it's the way we go about our business, the way we engage with our customers, the way we solve real-life problems for them and add value to them so that, you know, selfishly they say, hey, I want to be with ANZ and I want to stay there and I'm not going to go somewhere else. Um. In your letter in 2017, you highlighted uh, these these areas that that you wanted ANZ to contribute to to shifts, and that the areas were cities, infrastructure, the lived environment, healthcare, and education. And I mean, you look at that list, and you you just think crisis, pandemic, right? These are the areas that have mattered the most yeah. in the past 18 months or so. Um, 
over the past four and a half years, five years, how do you feel ANZ has contributed to shifts in those key areas? So we've done well, but not as well as we may have hoped, right? And again, if we're being honest, I think um, it's good to have aspiration, it's good to have ambition, you know, but is you know the 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 complexity and scale of large organisations is a challenge in terms of actually generating real outcomes and that you know five years seems like a long time but there's a lot to be done there so again as much as we're more agile and we're faster than we used to be and as I mentioned at the beginning not enough so I think we've done a lot there I think we've narrowed our focus we've learned we've sort of learned where we have a relevant voice on some of those issues um, and somewhere we have less. So cities and sustainable living is an obvious one, I think, because, you know, we're in the business of providing, uh, helping people buy and own a home. And so we sort of care about where those homes are, how they relate to the environment, how they're affordable and livable and those things. So we've, I think we're skewing our investment both in dollars and intellect around certain areas. And so that list is now more refined than it used to be. So now we really, and this has become this idea of what do we care about most, which is really saying housing is so critical to who and what we are as an organisation. And so livable cities, environmentally um, practices in terms of building homes, running homes, livable housing, all of those bits and pieces. Absolutely, we've spent a lot more time on that. And, you know, we're doing really exciting work around commercially viable, more social housing uh, work, etc. So that's really exciting. I, you know, if I was being, I wish we were doing it at a much greater scale. Mm. You know, and one of the problems in a big organisation is lots of things you do are really great, but nobody notices because you're so big. So we need to do things more at scale. So housing's one. The other one, some of the issues you talked about there, really, we would put in now into the terms of financial well-being and this idea that we need to help people be more financially literate more understanding of how they can improve the security of their family, their own personal situation from a financial perspective, because that is the key to really unlocking a lot of personal well-being beyond just the money, you know. And so we're getting better at understanding that. So, for example, we know that the two best things, and this is through lots and lots of research with academics, the two best things you can do to improve your financial well-being, one is have a savings um, amount, and there's some debate about what the right number is, but just having $1,000 of savings can literally massively change your financial well-being. So when a crisis hits, whether that's something like unemployment or less hours or whether it's literally the fridge breaking or the car breaking down, that's the number one thing. So how can we help people do that? So we've set up the ability for people to set savings goals, and we know that if you set a goal for saving, you're two times more likely to actually get the saving done. So there's bits and pieces like that. But saving's the number one thing. And the number two is actually um, owning your own home or at least um, being on the path to home ownership. Those two things have the biggest single impact on financial well-being. So that sort of community thriving piece as well. Listening to you and reading what I've read, it just feels like um, you have t- you've focused the bank in some key areas that are closely connected to to people's lives, which is perhaps why these bigger aims, these more lofty aims, you don't feel as as satisfied about. What have you sort of divested? What have you got rid of in order to have more clarity about 
about what it is you're doing? Well, we've got, well, yeah, so well, if we look at that from two perspectives, so there's sort of the hard-edged financial side of it, which says, you know, we've sold 30-odd businesses that we used to have that were perfectly decent businesses and there's nothing wrong with them. We just weren't the best people to run them. So that's everything from life insurance to superannuation businesses to share trading platforms to all sorts of uh, things. And again, we just sort of went, hey, when we go back to our purpose, we think about our strategy, helping people buy and own a home, et cetera, et cetera. What are the things that we can do really well? And what are the things we need to partner with others? And we sort of looked and said, well, what's all this other stuff for? And again, there's nothing wrong with them, but we weren't the right people. And actually, I can tell you, we are a far better organization for having made those. They were hard decisions. It is so hard because these are businesses that people loved and built and invested in over a long period of time. But we're more agile. We've, we're a bit lighter of foot, if you will, for not having to do those. And we were chatting about it the other week. You know, if COVID had of, had at a time when we still owned all those, I would really not like to think the state we would be in, having to manage the diversity and the complexity of all that. So being simpler is much better. So we've, div- we've divested stuff that is we don't think – we're the best people to run, given what we're about. I think the other thing that we've divested, or you're using your term, is some of the things that we thought we believed in. And that sounds a bit odd, but I think what we're getting better at is being clear about the things which we really, where we as an organisation can actually make a difference, not things where we think we can make a difference. So we're being much sharper about, so for that example we talked about before about housing. You know, you know, and, and and really being sharp about no, it really is about housing. It's not about commercial property, for example. You know, and it's much more about. So I think we've we've divested some of the sort of beliefs we thought we had about what we what our skills were, and we and we still got a little way to go on that. Um, so it's a more of an intellectual um, divestment. The pandemic all over the world. There's been a tension between. Uh, economy and health, uh, these two important kinds of well-being. But um, it, you know, ha- a bank all the time, in a way, or particularly with what you're doing with this idea of purpose. Uh, how do you make decisions when the purpose of ANZ is just in direct conflict with profit? So I'm not sure I buy that. I, I understand that. I think it, at some level that's true. And one of the pieces of work we're doing at the moment, and it's really at the heart of the bank we're building, is to to square that circle and say, actually, it's not. There is a way to run a purposeful organisation that does generate decent returns for the shareholders. Yeah, maybe not the highest, but decent and fair returns. And you know, we've built this wheel. We're struggling for a name for it, you know, but the sort of circle that says, hey, if if we do build the right propositions for customers that really do help them achieve what's important to them, yeah, Um, and it is about purpose-driven, sustainable, environmentally sustainable homes, living, businesses, those sorts of things, that should generate, you know, more customers choosing to come for us that will enhance our reputation if we enhance our reputation We'll win more customers. If we win more customers, we'll have a lower cost of um, customer acquisition and marketing, blah, 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 blah. And you sort of, you can link it through and say, actually, there is a way of making this a virtuous circle, yeah? And so we've built the logic out. And now what we're doing is building in really the metrics that say, well, how would you know? And how can we say to shareholders, hey, because I think there's a, it's a bit of a shame. Some shareholders think, oh, 
you know, Shane or ANZ, when you talk about things like, I don't know, financing thermal coal or something, you're doing you're, you're making a decision at the expense of shareholders. Right? No, we're not actually. We're here to creating long-term shareholder value. We just have a slightly different lens on how you create that value. And I think it's our job is to better articulate how that all links together. Because I think that has been seen in a very binary terms. But I'm extremely confident that we can do that. And that's actually part at the heart of this sort of bank we're building messaging as well to say, how can I link all of this together? Because we used to have sort of a business strategy and then we had purpose. Yeah. And they were saying, no, 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 they, they need to be one integrated approach for the organisation. There's always going to be tension. I mean, I, I, I wasn't trying to suggest that it's either or. It more about how you make those decisions. Yeah. And environment's the really obvious big one, isn't it? That that um, I mean, what what has the purpose of ANZ? What has ANZ done in its decisions with the environment yep. that distinguishes it? from the yeah. competitors? So I think it's a great question. It's obviously a work in progress. So I think if we go back and say, hang on, a thriving community which uh, and, and people, which is what we're looking for, clearly has to be an environmentally sustainable future. Now, you know, we can we can start to get into the nitty-gritty of what that is defined at. And, you know, a lot of I had an email today from customers talking about, you know, the role of gas, for example, all those things. So we can talk about the technical points. But the issue is clearly in order to achieve our purpose – we care about a sustainable environment, right? So we need to say, all right, if that's the future, low carbon, you know, thinking about water management, thinking about biodiversity, so in the broader sense of sustainability, what's our job? Our job as a bank, we finance transitions. That's what we do. We finance the transition from horse and buggies to cars. We finance the transition of Australia and New Zealand in particular from sort of, you know, colonial sort of, you know, um, very, very basic sort of economies and the development of those, that's what we do. And so it's what, how do we lean into that transition? How do we help the, the countries build for a sustainable future? We see it as a massive business opportunity. So I don't think as a, as, a, as a cost to the bank, I see it as a huge opportunity. Now, why are we well positioned for it? Because actually the kinds of things that ANZ does uh, the sorts of things you'd need to be good at to be able to finance that transition. You know, we're really good. You know, we're well connected across the region, uh, for example. Um, we're number one in things like actually knowing how to finance really, really big projects. Guess what? Hydrogen plants or carbon capture or solar or those, those are really big, complex financial problems to solve. And people like ANZ have the capacity to do that. So I, we see it as an exciting opportunity. And, and certainly not an, sort of a, an either-or. But, you know, the challenge, of course, when you get into the nitty-gritty of it, it can feel very challenging and all a very a bit controversial at times. But, you know, that's what we do. Do you, do you feel um, like Australia, to me, is a country without a big vision of itself uh, at the moment, it has been probably for a couple of decades unimaginative, I think, in, in lots of ways. It's up to individuals and businesses, I think, on their own to create vision. Um, do you feel like that with with the bank? I sort of, you know, maybe I take a very pragmatic point of view. We just have to, have to get on with it. And actually the history of ANZ is an interesting one, and I've learned a lot, you know, reading the history of the bank. You know, companies, not all, but many are the the leaders of change across economies and communities, you know. And I think about, you know, 
the social progression of a company like ANZ, you know, being the first uh, major organisation to employ women in Australia, you know, I think the shift around climate change and the massive shift of capital and, and, and getting ahead. So I think companies absolutely can be a massive force for good when they have that right sort of cultural heart. And so to be honest, we don't spend too much, I don't spend too much time lamenting of, of those issues. I think it would be fair to say that, that the way what you described there is probably true of most of the world. I think it's hard to find too many parts of the world where you would say, oh, I really understand the strong vision of that country. So I think it's really incumbent upon organisations like us to respectfully, and I mean that, uh, use the power that we have. And I'm very conscious that we do have a lot of influence. I mean, part of the reason we have our purpose was a recognition that actually as a large pervasive organisation in Australia and New Zealand, what we do matters. The way we behave, who we bank, what we care about, what we talk about, what we think is important, whether we like it or not, and some people don't like it, actually resonates and has an impact. Our employment policies, our policies about climate change and who we'll bank and who we won't bank, our policies around diversity and inclusion, those things actually shape the world. And so the question for us is, do you do it proactively and, and you do it because you want to proactively shape the world or do you wait to be told? And we've said, hey, we're not going to wait to be told. We, 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 we believe we have a responsibility to use that power and authority um, for good. ANZ. And by the way, so and we'll get criticised for it, you know, it's one of the interesting things I've learned in five years. Uh, you know, it's interesting when you sign up for these jobs, you sort of, you have this idea, well, you know, you've got all these great plans and we're doing these great things and building this for customers. And of course you get, you know, unwittingly, you can sort of get dragged into um, all sorts of issues, conversations, debates, um, at, a, at a, I guess, at a national level. And I think, um, you know, what we're doing, and we've got a really interesting um, conversation we're having at the moment, which I won't get into, but just we then need to stand back and say, hey, where is it appropriate for ANZ, an organisation like us, to have a voice and speak up, and when isn't it? So we don't want to be a company that says we never have an opinion on anything. If it's legal, we do it. That's not us. But we also have to be, uh, speak up on things that are relevant where people would sit and go, well, I'm, I'm kind of interested in what ANZ has to say. I may not agree with it. I might think they're bonkers, but at least I think they have a relevant point of view. And so it's sort of that having, again, a culture and a way of thinking about it should say, where is it reasonable for us to lean in and where to have courage? And I think it does take courage for organisations because it's a lot easier to keep your mouth shut, to be perfectly honest. Uh, the bank... Uh has a coat of arms and a motto. Yes. Tenax preposity. Yes. We had Shakespeare last time. We'll have a little Latin this yes. time. The tenacious, tenacious of purpose. purpose yes. Tenacious of purpose. Yeah. What does, I mean, it's a fascinating motto. It was introduced by the first chairman of the board of, of ANZ. It was a family motto, um, I'm willing to accept defeat, this idea of tenacity and holding tightly to something. Uh, and I wondered what that motto means to you and how it, uh, if at all, uh, shaped the idea of, of the purpose of the bank. The honest truth is it didn't shape the purpose of the bank, but after it was sort of an after the fact. That's amazing. It came along it's... and went, wow. That, and I, I, 
you know, I think we talked about it before. Um, uncovering the purpose of an organisation, somebody described it to me as an archaeological dig. You don't make it up. You actually are, you are searching through, well, what has sustained the company for this period of time? So I think unknowingly to us anyway, that, that, that motto was actually incredibly appropriate and it obviously has shaped the bank over a period of time. And so maybe it should be unsurprising that our purpose is so aligned with that. But I think, again, it talks about courage to me anyway. It talks about for standing up for what you think, you know, that tenacity of purpose of saying, hey, I, this is what we believe and, and we're going to stand up for that and we're going to put our shoulder to the wheel on those particular, it's exactly what we just talked about, which is what are the areas where we really want to be tenacious to use that, you know, on and really speak up and, and where is it not appropriate? So I think actually whether it's a coincidence or not, it's a, it's, um, it speaks a lot about the sort of, you know, 200-year-old culture of the organisation and I think it's an – I personally think it's entirely appropriate. I mean, the fact that some people – now, it was men in those days – came out from the United Kingdom to settle and start an organisation, you know, in the 1830s in Australia and then in the 1840s in New Zealand. That takes courage, <laughs> right? That takes a sense of purpose and adventure. And I think those things do have actually shaped ANZ over, over a, a long period of time and continue. And I personally think, and it gives me, just me, it's also that courage that has helped shape ANZ as a socially progressive organisation because those things, have, you know, it would have been courageous in the 1880s to employ women. Today we kind of think it's, it's nothing, but that would have been courageous. It would have been courageous for the organisation to go to what we now know as Papua New Guinea in 1910 or, you know, to go and say, we're going to go and do business. We're going to go and do business in these places. And so I think there's lots, of, there's lots to take out of that. Well, good luck. Good luck with uh, what lies ahead. Um, there's going to be a lot of challenges uh, and, a, and a lot that sounds very, very exciting at this you know, old uh, but very modern organisation at yeah. the same time. It is exciting. And it's this idea of longevity, right? And I sit there and think it's the same thing in an organisation and that's about the bank we're building. It's, it's, we're never going to own the bank. It's not, it's not my bank. It's not my purpose. It's not my strategy. You know, our job is to look after it for the next generation and leave it in better shape. And so that's really what we're trying to capture in this idea of the bank we're building. Now, what we've got to make sure is that we build at pace and with a sense of purpose. Yeah. And so that as we transition and, you know, people come and go, I won't be here. There'll be other people who'll come. But that that commonality, that ten tenacity of purpose stays through for the next 185 years. And I think that's really, and I, I think if, if anything, the last five years has really been about trying to be incredibly focused about how and where we put our efforts to make sure that ANZ is a contemporary appropriate organisation for, you know, not just 2021 and 2022, but for the next sort of 100 years and, and what would that look like. And so it is really exciting, um, but still lots of work to do. Good motto, good chat. Great to, great to uh, catch up and hear what you've been doing and uh, all the best with it Shane. Thank Thanks you. very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this interview with ANZ Chief Executive Shane Elliott as he discussed the bank we're building. If you enjoyed this conversation you can share it with your colleagues, clients and networks. If you are an ANZ employee you can find more information about the bank we're building campaign on Max and share your thoughts and feedback on Yammer. This podcast was produced by ANZ News and Round 3. 
ANZ News is a publication of ANZ Banking Group.